Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to World Spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions with your host, Reverend Paul John Roach. So hello and welcome to World Spirituality on the Unity Online Radio Network. Yes, I'm your host, Paul John Roach, coming to you from a beautiful spring day in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, We're experiencing, I understand, the earliest spring in over 100 years which has something to do with leap year, I think, and, and the way that it's calculated and the way the, the Earth rotates. But anyway, it's been glorious, and we're enjoying it tremendously. Today is the second week in our series. Uh, the theme for the month is uh, Practices for Awakening. And so I'm delighted to welcome the author of a very practical and insightful workbook, for awakening to a deeper purpose the book is called conscious confidence use the wisdom of sanskrit to find clarity and success and the author sarah main joins me from sydney australia which is lovely and and i'm hoping it's a little better down there after all the fires i think it is right now so um she'll tell us about that Uh, she's a a sanskrit scholar um, has had a fulfilling career as a teacher and school executive, and today focuses on uh, being a transformational and executive coach, using her decades of meditation practice and spiritual studies in helping others uh, live a more purposeful and joyous life. And that's what this book is about. It's an encapsulation of all those things, which makes it so wonderful. And I I call it a workbook because it's eminently practical. I'm going to give actually a copy to to my daughters, because I think they'll, they're going to love this, too. Uh, so it's a joy to welcome Sarah Main to today's show. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Oh, thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. You know what? I, of course, I'm, I'm really heavily into Hinduism um, <laughs> myself. And so, you know, whenever I come across a book that focuses in that direction, uh, I love it. But uh, over and above the Hindu focus, you know, you, you brought in other traditions, what you call timeless wisdom. And I love that, um, you know, and, and so there's this there's as much of Western culture in it as, as Hindu. But but I, but I love the insights that you bring, especially in terms of Sanskrit words. Folks, if you're listening today, want to know more about the book in each chapter. Listen to this. You get a teaching story, some of the great stories of um of our tradition, Eastern and Western traditions. You get insights from uh, Sanskrit and Sanskrit words. Also get contemporary accounts 
uh, that illuminate the the theme of that the chapter. Um, key analogies, and those are always helpful. And that's the thing about a story; it it, it helps us visualize um, and make uh, analogous connections, which is interesting. Um, and then also we have a series of practices in each chapter from starter to advanced level. So it's a smorgasbord, folks. We get a little bit of everything here um, that, that supports and uplifts the, the theme of the book. So it all in helps, it helps to embody the, the themes that Sarah develops. Um, so having said that, what is conscious confidence? You know, that's the, the title. So how do you understand that and what, how might we relate to it? Well, conscious confidence is um, is that fundamental connection with yourself. Uh, so it's not a confidence that's dependent on certain certain circumstances or conditions being a particular way, or that you're in a familiar situation. Because all too often, our our what we relate to as confidence is based on. Um, being familiar with certain things, how to do something, or being in a familiar situation where we feel confident. But this is a self-assurance and a fundamental connection with ourselves, which gives us the strength to then face and um, embrace and thrive in whatever situation we find ourselves. And conscious confidence, if you go back to the Sanskrit, it's um, it's, a hope, it's a bond of hope, confidence and trust in yourself. It's firm confidence and belief in yourself. It's, uh, it, it's all these sorts of qualities. I've just given you a taste. Mm-hmm. And the Sanskrit fills out confidence in such a beautiful way. It's like looking at a black and white photo and a full colour photo. Um, and the difference is marked. And that's because of the wisdom in Sanskrit. Well, yeah, and, and you, you talk a lot about Sanskrit in the book, of course. Um, yeah. And it is interesting, isn't it? The the it's an Indo-European language, but it's it's um, it seems to preserve the essence of the, that tradition, that 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 um, that huge group of languages, right? But the, there's so many correspondences between Sanskrit, say, and Latin. And English, right? That many of the roots are common roots, but Sanskrit seems to have preserved it in a very pure form. You know, these other languages have sort of morphed into different areas. You know, English is a sort of a mongrel language, isn't it? Which contains lots of other, <laughs> lots of elements. But it's Sanskrit. I don't mean to put English down, but you know, basically that's what it is. It's a, uh, you know, several languages coming together. Uh, well, that gives it strength also. But I think there's yeah. a strength in the purity of the language. I think the only other language that we have in the world that's that pure is is Arabic. You know, because people say that um, Arabic has the same sort of uh, 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 pellucid quality that Sanskrit has. So. Yeah, we can learn a lot from from Sanskrit. Just as a, a, a passing statement, my my first late wife, um, who who died of uh, breast cancer, uh, God rest her soul, um, her her uh, name that she was given when she went to India and, uh, by a teacher was Shraddha, and um, Shraddha means you know quiet yeah. faith, doesn't it? Faith. Uh, yes, surety. Um, yeah. and, and I am I pronouncing it right? 
And um, yeah. Shraddha. 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 Yeah, Shraddha. It's, actually, it's actually in the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what, yeah. that's what piqued my interest. Yeah. But um, but I thought, you know, that's a lovely name for somebody to be given, you know, that sense yeah. of um, inner confidence, inner knowing. And yeah. I, I do want to say that, you know, when, when one is reliant on our outer um, or our ego perception, right? You you could be thrown off, can't you? You know, it's sort of, as, as you mentioned in the book, unconscious confidence. Sometimes you feel confident, sometimes you don't. When you have this conscious confidence, when you're touching the the heart of who you are, right, the essence of who you are, you can then go anywhere, really, and be confident and be calm because you, it's not you anymore, right? It's it, There's, a, there's a, an energy of spirit flowing through you that does the work, if you like, and you can relax into that. And it's a wonderful place to be, isn't it? It's um, it, it, it gives you a an, uh, an ability that you never thought you could do alone, right, By from your own humanness. Yes, oh, absolutely, and, and that's extremely beautifully uh, expressed. Uh, you know, at what often when we think about confidence, well, we often don't even think about it until we feel we lack confidence, but uh, what we carry around with us is just based on a familiarity with the job that we do and certain things that we do around the home and so on and so forth, just simple things that we've repeated and so we get familiar with them and there's nothing wrong with that but to mistake that for actual true confidence um, is just a mistake really I think Um, and it's in the absence of of other better knowledge deeper knowledge and then we look at someone else and think oh well it's all right for them they're a confident person and that seems to be just the luck of the draw if you, you appear to be born with a certain personality that on the outward display is confident, you know, the ones where the people are sort of a bit more out there and they're more extroverted and so on. But I'm not really speaking about those. I, I call those unconscious forms of confidence. Um, the, the real confidence is, is this one where you're drawing from, as you say, spirit, from a real connection with who we are, which, of course, is universal, pure consciousness or spirit. And that's that's a different a different conversation altogether. Now we're talking about something where, sure, we may meet something that's unfamiliar, that's new. And of course, you, if you're doing something unfamiliar and new, you feel, oh, I'm not quite sure what to do here. Oh, you know, and you're figuring it out. But you're not completely beset by anxiety and incapable of functioning. You think, oh, this is new, and you're figuring it out. It's a bit uncertain, but that's good because by definition, if something's uncertain, it's new and that's a wonderful thing. Um, if we feel familiar and, and so-called confident with everything that we're doing, uh, similarly, by definition, there's nothing new in that um, and we want to be embracing the new opportunities in life. And to do that, we just need a foundation that isn't going away, that we can totally trust and that is all-encompassing and limitless and connection with ourself, our true spirit, is the way to go. And the Sanskrit, the the word Sanskrita um, means pure and perfectly formed and this purity as you described, the wisdom in Sanskrit is pure and it is perfectly formed and untouched, and you can absolutely count on it, uh, which is wonderful. I find that amazing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and and the sort of counterintuitive part of this is, you know, because there is this underlying ground of um, spirit that we can trust, right? This this essence that's throughout everything. Then yeah. it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes, right? Um, yes. if, if we if we were in a cruel universe where there was no sense of anything, then the mistakes would be overwhelming. But the fact that you know we're guided by this this beautiful presence means that mistakes are part of that uh, guidance, right? So everything is for learning. So so we can see everything um, not not as oh why is this happening, but oh this is interesting. You know what can I learn from this because it's part of the unfoldment. And you tell this the wonderful story. You know I think we're all familiar with it. Uh, uh, of the man who had different things befall him, um, <laughs> but but it all works out. And, and his neighbors are always rushing and saying, oh, it's terrible, this has happened. And he said, well, we'll wait and see. And, you know, it, it unfolds because he's in the, the sort of the Zen-like or Taoist flow of things, isn't he? He's allowing things to unfold. And, and as a result of that non-resistance, you know, um, one does happen for him, you know, whereas some of us are clinging to it having to be a certain way. We miss our opportunities, right, because we're we're holding on so tightly. And, and part of the teaching that you have is, you know, how do we let go? How do, how do we relax in, into this conscious confidence, right? Um, yeah. Which you can't do for yourself, but you can allow it to happen through you. Yes, that's it. That's it, because it's it's a fundamental connection with yourself. So there's no need to cling on because what's needed in the moment will be presented uh, and that's at the end of the book there's a beautiful statement uh padam padam prati padam arhati iti prati pratikam and that means step by step and at every step stands waiting that the energy and knowledge that which is needed to take that step for that next step so we can confidently move from one step to the other because what's what's needed is presented in the moment um and that, that is a practical thing to experience. That's not just a nice idea. I love it. And, you know, Jesus says mm. the same thing. He says, you know, yeah. if you're taken to court or whatever, don't worry about what's going to happen. Just know that in the very moment you need it, the spirit will be there to guide you. And yeah. it's, it's exactly the same same idea because, you know, yeah. Jesus was a, a wisdom teacher, a timeless wisdom teacher, right? The, yeah. um, we've made him into many other things, but in essence, that's what he was. He was a Zen master or, a, you know, a Hindu a, a sage or whatever, you know, he... <laughs> He had those same connections to the to source that, that we're talking about here. You know, there's a story in the book that I think is the central key to understanding the whole thing. And I, I believe it's um, the version was written by by your husband, I think, uh, Gilbert. <laughs> and, yes. Uh, the seven, seven gateways. Um, yeah. You know, city of seven gates and, and of course it's based on um you know yoga teaching right that there are seven yeah. um, states or planes of wisdom right mm -hmm. and uh, i love this because it's a template really f to go from you know your humanness from your ego into the undifferentiated state you know the the mm -hmm. dimension that we can't even get our head around right our head yeah. explodes basically um so and it's lovely because you know it's it's very visceral, isn't it? It's because I think we learn by parable and analogy and story so well because the human mind likes to visualize things, right? So it's easier to understand that way. That's why we love fairy tales and and other stories. And and um, I think these wisdom stories that you have all throughout the book are you know very effective. Many of which I know already, and, and but they're never 
something you can't listen to again, right? That's the nature of these wisdom stories. You can read them again and again and find deep satisfaction from them. But there was a number of that I hadn't come across, and that, that was wonderful too. So um, that's a, a real plus for this book, folks, if you're listening and um, would like to buy it, because these stories are, uh, yield so much wisdom for us that we can get because we can enter into the story itself. But anyway, yes. coming back to the seven gates, um, wonderful stuff, isn't it? Oh, yes. Uh, I, I think it's a funda fundamental piece of information, if, uh, uh, just taken at that level, and that's why I put it in the book, because we need to understand the process of transformation. So say in, in the, this context of uh, conscious confidence, um, if you, it's not just going to happen boom overnight. You need to actually work at it. That's hence the practices. Any transformation, you know, if you wanted to become, you want to run a marathon, let's say, you're not just going to say, right, I'm going to join, run the marathon, the Olympic marathon. You've got to start training. You've got to learn and train. And it needn't take a long time to do something, but it does take a process of, of learning and studying and some new knowledge because if we don't get the new knowledge, we're just in our same mindset um, going around in the same thoughts and you're just going to create the same result. So number one, hence the need for new wisdom or source wisdom, and I think timeless wisdom is absolutely the way to go. And then going back to the wisdom traditions and the great teachers, and they're there for all time to learn from and then putting that into practice and, and the seven gateways or the seven steps or however you want to describe it, describe the process of going from that individual state and transforming into a greater or universal state, as you mentioned. But this, this same seven steps actually applies to any action that we want to take. Say we wanted to build a, a table it would describe, it describes the process of going from the idea forming in your mind and desire, I want to build a table, right to the completion of the table. The seven steps covers that process as well. So it, it is like the law of action and there are seven steps to it. And, and I think for our own development, it's useful to understand because sometimes it can seem a bit random and, and sort of going from sort of one pinging off from one thing to another. But actually, if you commit to a process, you are actually following these seven steps. And it's really good to understand that, that fact and understand what the steps are. Well, I know people are biting, chomping at the bit to know what the seven steps are. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's quickly okay. go through, through them. Sure. Um, yep. And I'll just do it real quick and you can fill in a little more. Um, the first is, you know, a, a desire or intention to open to a higher reality. And, and when, when this uh, man has a desire to find this city, the symbolic city, um, you know, he arrives at the first gate of the city and, and it's open. And, and he asked the gatekeeper, how come it's already open? And he says, well, because you're, you're just your intention, your desire for this has opened that first gate. And I, I think that's a lovely image too, you know. And then yeah. the second one is real difficult because to get into the second, through the second gate, 
because he has to do a number of chores before he can <laughs> enter into. And and this is, you know, where we have to do the apprenticeship, right? We have to do the work here. We yeah. have to be wo- willing to actually, uh, you know, not just a nice idea, but I'm willing to apply it. That's yeah. tough. I think most people are stuck right there, you know, not, not trying to get into the second gate because we, we want our truth to be a, a little easy. I, I remember when I was at the ashram in, in Wales uh, that I used to attend a lot and, um, they were chanting for an hour and a half, and then they'd come out. The, the guru and his and his uh, swamis would come out, and uh, then they start talking about the the cattle and the horses and all the their farm animals that the farm with the, that the ashram had. And I thought, how could they come out of this beautiful transcendent experience and talk about something as mundane as that? This is terrible <laughs> in the temple. And and now I've shared this story many times, but. But I think, you know, I was at the second gate you know, thinking that I, I, I want this higher wisdom. You know, I don't need to be doing these simple chores or talking about cattle or whatever. But now I realize there's no difference, right? The, 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 how well we do the simple things guarantees, this, you know, the, how we get into through the second gate. A third gate is is a sort of mind becomes, as you put it, a little more subtle, right? And there's the... Yes. The test. There's there's a, a little judgment to be made there. How do, how do we wisely discern? And you have this wonderful story of the um, difficult situation, right? Difficult. Uh, <laughs> do you want to describe that? Oh, that's the uh, the test is with the grandmother. Right. Uh, yes. And let me find it. And I'm going to. Do you want me to read that bit? Would you like okay. that? Okay. Yeah. Sure. I, I think that's such a a genius uh, little bit. Let me. I'm just. I've got it right here. Here uh, we, we go. Can ask our, can ask our listeners. What, how would what would your answer what would be? You, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. right. Um, what must uh, so the seeker says? Uh, what must I do to pass through the third gate? And the gatekeeper told him a story. The grandmother of two starving children stole bread to feed them. The punishment for stealing is ten copper coins or jail. The baker she stole from is also poor and his family depends on him selling his bread. The baker insists that the sentence be carried out as a warning to to future thieves. To pass through the third gate, you must render judgment in this case. The seeker was perplexed. Should he be merciful and therefore flout the law and ruin the baker or should he deliver justice and punish a desperate grandmother? Tough one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm not going to give it away. You have to read the book to find it. Ah, there we go. Oh, that's cheated. That's cheated. Well, no, all right. And, and, that's, that's 30 years of teaching. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, it is a difficult conundrum, but the, yeah. the person, the seeker does come up with an answer, but I don't think there's any one answer because I read oh. the story to my to my wife last night and she came up with a totally different answer, which I thought worked as well, you know, and I think this is true. Yeah. There's no one answer to any to, to any problem, right? There's, there's your answer, what works well for you, and as long as that guidance is coming from spirit, you know, wh- whichever way it works out, we have to be open to different scenarios, so... But anyway, yes. let's let's the the, uh, the 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 seeker did pass through that third gate, got to the fourth gate where they they are hearing sounds from the inner part of the city, and I love this one because we do reach a stage where we've had enough deepening that we can uh, we're attuned to spirit, but we're not quite in the presence of spirit, so we we kind of hear it secondhand or we hear it in some form or fun- fashion, 
but it's yeah. not fully integrated. And you said that's the place where we write poems or music, uh, well, hymns of praise to this, right? Um, yeah. But but our, our success in faithfully rendering the, that knowledge ends up internalizing it in ourselves, and then we can open the gate, right? Then we can move mm. into the, the fifth level. I think that's a beautiful stage, right? I think a lot of... Um, our artists and um, inspirers are, are, are at that level in in the um, in the journey, right? Yes, it's it's in a, a, it is a stage of um, integration at a level, uh, and it's a it's a stage of strength, and you're not really going to fall back from that. Whereas stages one, two, and three are a bit more fragile, and you have to keep practicing because you can fall back. Because as you say, that st- the second step. Um, you you desire this uh, higher knowledge, this higher experience, but you you're working against the inertia of your habit, um, and this is old habit, and it it's you know your feet is kind of cemented in there a bit, so you do need to work at it, and that's where most people find it very difficult and will just fall away and not and not worry about it. Uh, because the habit reasserts itself. So you have to be determined and you need good company and you need the words of the wise, you need the wisdom traditions uh, to keep re-inspiring you and you need to keep refreshing your resolve and your inspiration. All of that needs care and love and attention and support and work and some effort. Um, And then eventually the the habits fall away and um, you get this strength emerging strength and then eventually there's this platform and and you don't fall back from that i love it well well yeah. well presented yeah beautifully yeah. articulated and then of course when he goes into the the next the secret enters into the next level there's yeah. a chair right so we, like yeah. you said we've done enough integration now we can actually sit down on the throne if you like in our rightful <laughs> place and uh, and begin to see that you know everything's connected, right? And that's the the beautiful moment where we see all beings as ourselves, and and there's a joy there. We're we're no longer in in a separated place of being. We're we're yes. beginning to integrate more fully, and and th- this is a very joyful place, isn't it? It's um, it, it's it's a connectedness. That's when we become truly compassionate, right? And uh, open yes. to other people in a, in a very profound way. Yes, yes, and and that's just the fifth gate. There is further to go, um, but it it is these these are now much finer, and the effort required is quite different. And I hope I sort of get that across in the book. Um, now the effort is one. If you can imagine a clenched fish fist, is the first stage up to the fourth gate, and then the the effort thereafter is like letting go, and you open your hand completely. Mm, I love it's, that. It, it's it's a different type of effort, and and effort is required in different ways. Uh, in the first half of the the sequence, and then the second. Yeah. We're at the fifth gate. We've got two more to go. We're at the break, folks. You're gonna have to wait. It's okay though. You can wait. You can sit down on your chair and enjoy <laughs> our interconnectedness here. We'll be right back. I'm with Sarah Main talking about a lovely book, Conscious Confidence. Join us after these messages from Unity.
we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. We now return to World Spirituality with Reverend Paul John Roach. So welcome back to today's show. I'm with Sarah Main. She's written a wonderful book called Conscious Confidence, Using the Wisdom of Sanskrit to Find Clarity and Success. And as we mentioned in the first uh, segment, it's it's all kinds of things in this workbook. There's there's practical things you can do, practices. There's also a lot of analogies with stories and uh, contemporary accounts. So it's very real and, and very easy to understand, laid out in a very uh, systematic way. And, and plus the insights of, uh, of Sanskrit as well um, in terms of uh, the, the, the the wonderful uh, depth understanding that Sanskrit can reveal for us. So we talking we're talking about the seven gates of seven steps in, into this limitless uh, consciousness of spirit, and we got to the fifth gate, and, and now we're heading to the the, the last two, and <laughs> um, yeah, and the the sixth gate is is into this uh, sort of beyond objectivity, right? And the image that uh, is used is. Um, Climbing up a ladder and, and seeing this uh, this image of a woman. Um, tell us about it. Uh, yes, she's. Uh, she, <laughs> I'm just I'm just finding a bit in the story because it is so beautifully put. My husband wrote this lovely story for yeah. me because yeah. there isn't there isn't actually a story about the seven gates that I could find, and certainly in all the years I've studied. Um, I couldn't find anything and my husband is a very gifted writer and natural storyteller and I said honey I need a story and he came back 30 minutes he came back 30 minutes later he came back with this wow (laughs) he did did good yeah yeah, he just wrote it um well yes it this this uh sixth gate the woman is um she's just sort of listening isn't she uh and she has a, a songbird standing on her finger the he says the, the singer the seeker climbs the ladder and reaches a platform and there's a woman and on her finger is a, a songbird trilling and greeting to the morning sun and the seeker looks around and he sees the woman the bird the sun the city everything shining in this golden light and he sees the light shining off everything as a single light and this is a stage where you see um, everything is one. Um, and he felt as one as well. And then when he realises this single beauty, this single light, this singularity, um, he walks down the ladder and walks to the next gate. So I think that's the sort of characteristic of it is this um uh, non-awareness or uh, penetration, I think, insight and detachment. Right. We might call it a, a samadhi experience, you know, if we're talking in, in uh, Hindu terms, right? Um, that's yeah. that sense of uh, absorption into the one, right? Beyond beyond our mind looking at it anymore. The, the mind seems to have disappeared and, and we just are in the oneness, right? And and it's it's a hard state to describe, but it, it's not even yes. the end, right? Because there's no. uh, there's a, a seventh gate to, to enter into. Um, yes. 
And, you know, and I love what the way it ends. It's, oh, let me read it. It says, between one moment and the next, the sixth gate opened and the yeah. seeker felt the invitation to walk through. When he approached the seventh gate, he began to laugh. And I think this is an indicator of enlightenment, too. You know, usually we start laughing, right? Because we yeah. realize how yeah. simple it, it is, um, how yeah. wonderful it is, how much effort foolishly we put into it that we didn't need to do. Um, yeah. And how glorious everything is. It's all connected. It's all one. Um, so there is that sense of joy uh, that comes. And the seventh gate was a polished brass mirror etched into the mirror with the words, Behold the gatekeeper. All the seeker could see was himself. He bowed to his own reflection and stepped into the seventh gate. I just love that. You know, he was the gatekeeper, wasn't he, all the way through, right? We are our own gatekeepers, and we're the yeah. ones that keep ourselves stuck, or we're the ones that allow ourselves forward, right, yeah. all, all by our choices. And you mentioned that in the book, of course, you know, to go from victim to victor, um, mm. to be hampered by our fears or to, you know, open to to possibility and but that's a, that's an amazing insight, isn't it? I, I read a book once called The Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin, a wonderful mm -hmm. spiritual writer. And uh, Ged was is one of the characters in the in the book, and he's sort of the protagonist. And at, at one point, he has to face his his worst enemy, and uh, eventually, he's he's on his journey to his worst enemy. And the enemy shows up and, and turns towards him and takes the hood his hood off. And he sees no no other than Ged facing him. So his his worst uh, enemy was was his own self. And, and yet yeah. once he once he looked and saw the enemy, you know, it dissolved and it, they became one. And and he realized his greatest enemy was also his greatest uh, in, in, impulse forward. You know, his greatest friend. And um, I've always loved that because it's a similar image, isn't it? The, the mirror image of of what we're projecting into the universe. Yes, and, and you'll notice in the story, all the way through, the seeker steps through the gate, the next gate, he steps through it, but in this uh -huh. final one, he bowed to his own reflection and stepped into the seventh gate. Mm. And my husband wrote that specifically because he said he knew at that time immediately it had to be stepped into the gate. Oh, I love that. A apparently. Um, but, yes, there, there's just a bit of cleaning up of the of the situation to be done and that's and that's the the process as it as it unfolds over the seven the seven gates yeah. um and the the sanskrit words are naturally full of wisdom and and knowledge about each gate you know starting with shubhechar to suichar and atamamanasa etc um but anyway it's all in the book and and it, it is a beautiful sequence and very illuminating for us uh to understand each step uh, but I, I should say people get a little bit sort of oh it's Sanskrit no I don't know about that and, and it's a bit beyond me and how does this relate to me um, but it's it's not about I'm not talking I'm not saying learn Sanskrit what I'm saying is there's wisdom in Sanskrit it is it is a universal language it is profound and the wisdom is there and all I've done is just unpack some of the wisdom and presented in a very accessible way for people. So don't be put off by the concept of Sanskrit. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, use it. It's uh, it's helpful. It, though it is kind of profound, isn't it? There's a lot of detail to it, and it, it can yes. be intimidating sometimes. You know, I have an image of Durga on my desk, and uh, it's in front of me whenever I'm working. And, um, 
if if you're not familiar, folks, Durga is is the the goddess image um, uh, in the form of a victorious form. She she rides a lion or a tiger, and uh, she's blessing uh, with she's got a stillness around her, but in all her arms she's holding the various implements and swords and whatnot that she's used to overcome adversity. And um, uh, but her name means the it's got a number of meanings, right, Durga? But it, it means mm. uh, invincible. Uh, victorious or inaccessible, and uh, I like that that meaning to that that definition, inaccessible, because this stuff is inaccessible to our humanness. It can only be embraced by something beyond our humanness, something beyond our discursive mind, right? And so yeah. it's that it, I like that idea, you know. So for me, the, the I contemplate those those names for Durga because they're they're not just some image of a, a this goddess from Hinduism that was created, you know, and has no meaning to me. No, it's it's about what's what is invincible. Um, and and yet impenetrable in in myself and adamantine also cannot be destroyed. There's there's that sense of um, invincible in that sense too, which to me the universe is like that. It's um, it's beyond you know all the changes that I, I'm worried about most of the time. Yes, uh, and and the sort of impenetrable or inaccessible is is. Basically, until we wake up, and that's waking up in its essence is not like uh, some sort of, you know, we're not referring to some high level. This is the difference between, say, being asleep in bed at night, asleep, and then our eyes waking up, you know, our eyes opening and we wake up and we're no longer asleep. We may still be lying in bed, but we're now no longer asleep. We're aware and that it can be the difference, uh, the inaccessibility is the difference between being asleep in bed at night and waking up. We've still got to get out of bed, <laughs> right. um, but we are awake. We're no longer asleep. And in that state of sleep, we're, by definition, we're unaware. Someone can come into the room. Someone could repaint the room. And if we stay asleep, we're unaware that that has happened. But when we wake up, we may still be in bed, but we will be aware of someone, we'll be aware of something else. And the conscious confidence starts, and there's a chapter on this, you know, by being awake and aware. And, you know, and our human condition is one thing, but as you talk about this discursive mind, it weaves a web and we stay asleep. So we, we walk around most of the time in a, in a, in a sort of waking sleep. Um, and we're, we're just simply unaware, and it's about raising our consciousness and being more awake, um, and and then transformation can take place. Otherwise, we're just in a whole set of repetitive ideas and habits and so on, and, and we just stay in the same level. Well, you have a wonderful story about that, you know, the monkey and the, and the bamboo pole, <laughs> right? And we, yeah. I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but basically... Uh, the, the farmer we, we see, seeks to spend more time in meditation, but uh, you know it's, he's he's been gifted with this monkey. He'll do any task, but the, the monkey takes over his life basically because uh, <laughs> he has to think about new tasks for the monkey. 
and eventually comes up with a way to control the monkey. And you have to read the book to find out more. But <laughs> it's a wonderful analogy of monkey mind, right? That yeah. it will drive us insane if we're not careful. But uh, once you have techniques to control it, um, th then it becomes a faithful friend to us, right? And I, mm. I, th I think this is what we're talking about. Is It's not a question of never having thoughts again. It's a question of harnessing them in the right the right direction. And, and you, you create this fuse program, as you call it it right that's, yeah. that's based on sort of six steps here um just to briefly outline it because i see we're already approaching towards the end of the show i don't know how that happened <laughs> we need we need a, a, at least three more shows here i think um but uh, but you talk about core values um positive yeah. attitude and then we get into the four elements of of fuse which is focusing uniting simplifying and energizing and I love this because it, it speaks very clearly to, you know, how, how we practically um, move from victim to victor, right? We have a choice here, but what, what our core values are, uh, what attitudes we bring, um, and, and then these, these steps that, to focus, to give you, you know, to be clear um, yeah. and, and bring ourselves to this oneness that we talked about earlier and, and simplicity. When I was in seminary, um, one of my teachers said... Uh, you know, hush, hush, I got a special secret for you. And he, I said, okay, what is it? He said, this is the essence of truth. There's just two words. I said, oh, really? Can it be this simple? And he goes, yes, it is. What is it? I said, he said, clarity and simplicity. Yeah. And I thought, surely it can't be that simple. But, you know, now I, I realize, of course it is. That's that's a yeah. pretty good summation of, of yeah. the spiritual path right there, isn't it? Clarity yeah. and simplicity, right? Seeing clearly um, yes. and, and being in the, in the place of uh, uh, pellucid, uh, there's that word again, uh, simplicity. Um, it's lovely, right? Because our lives are so darn complicated or we complicate them. Yes, and, and that's only because our most of the time our, our waking moments are dominated by this well, sort of so-called monkey mind base, doing what it does when it's unregulated, which is just weaving this web of loosely associated thoughts constantly and we right. just want, wander around in, with, with this sort of fog, uh, you know, the old, um, do you remember pig pen, that uh, image in um, the Peanuts cartoons? You know, and he, he just had that uh, fog around his head with flies and everything. <laughs> right. And, and the thing is, there's nothing wrong with the mind. It, it, the, the manas, the, our thinking, active mind, it, it is a servant. But the problem is without actually our, our presence and our intellect and our reason as the guiding discerning principle, um, the, the servant takes over. And it's in the nature of the mind that without some guidance, it immediately takes over um, and then creates havoc and, and it, it, with disastrous effects if, if it, it's let to, to go on and on. And um, there's nothing wrong with the mind. It's a servant. It's a beautiful, magnificent, excellent um, servant. I mean, it, it, put, it put a man on the moon, for heaven's sake. But most of the time it just is running amok and it causes all these problems and we just go along walking along in this waking sleep we're awake enough not to walk into into trees and power poles as we walk up the street 
but uh, most of the time we're unaware of what's going on and, and we need to come into that presence and that's where this focusing and the simplifying comes in. And the FUSE program is the foundations is in the values and Sanskrit has some beautiful things to say on, on what values are. And then attitude, which is very illuminating as well. They're the foundations and then we have this focusing our attention and that's just simple attention to what we're doing in the moment without distracting thoughts. That takes practice. It's not hard, but it just takes practice. Um, but it's necessary, the focusing, the clarity, and then the uniting um, and that's finding that common factor in every situation rather than just living with division all the time. Uh, and then simplifying, letting go of the unnecessary. And then energising is then taking purposeful, creative, dynamic, beautiful action. It's not, it's not just sitting there on a mountain being um, sort of at, at peace with the world. Anybody can be at peace with the world when we're sitting on a mountain, but be at peace with the world when the kids are crying and the and the dinner needs to be cooked and you've and you've had a hard day at work, you know. Um, that's that's a different matter to actually find peace and clarity and uh, purpose in that situation is the same as when you were in the ashram and they were discussing the cows straight after a profound uh, period of meditation. Uh, Spirituality is intensely practical and practicality is intensely spiritual. And if you see a difference in spirituality and practicality, it just means there's a little more work to do, that's all. Right, lovely. And that you have a wonderful story around that, you know, about the the world's greatest devotee of uh, the god of Vishnu and uh, <laughs> and he was unhappy he was unhappy that there was another person that was better than him. Reminds me of Reminds me of Snow White, you know, and the and the, yeah. the ugly stepsister or whatever. Who thought she was the most beautiful one of all, um, and that this is a ha habit we have. You know, I'm the best at this, best at that. We may have no reason to believe that, really. Well, why would you think that? But we, yeah. we've convinced ourselves that we must be. And and the lovely story is, you know, he was eventually humbled. He he realized um, a deeper truth through practice, through through. Uh, and again, you're gonna have to read the book, folks. <laughs> Sorry, we can't tell you all everything that's in it. But it is an amazing story, and I found it very profound um, yes. because we all have a sort of a little bit of hubris going on, you know, where we think we're we're hot stuff until we realize, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe not quite so hot, you know. But the, the good the good news is you don't have to be, right? That's the key, isn't it? You yeah. you can never perfect your ego. You know, I, m I remember the Don. Henley album one time was called Building the Perfect Beast. You know, the, it's impossible to build the perfect beast. The beast is the beast. Um, let it be what it is. Um, it's 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 moving into awareness that you know your your spirit within you is already perfect. You know, you don't have to perfect your ego in order to become. We have a lot of people who have spiritualized egos, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yes, uh, that's un uh, unhelpful, actually. But eventually, yeah, right. you know, they'll. Yeah. they'll um, They'll reach the limits of that and have to transcend. You know, that's the, the, <laughs> the, the grace of the situation is that if it's untrue, eventually it will have to be released. Yeah, but, um, but it can, you know, create a situation in the meantime. But, yes, it's um, 
the, the stories are interesting because they seem so simple um, and yet they are profound and that's and that's the importance of storytelling um, you you know all the great teachers use it and and you know I was a teacher just a, a school teacher for 30 years and you use stories you know and, yeah, of course. and allergies all the time and and that's where the messages actually will go in and you, you say ah you know and you remember a story long after everything else you've forgotten everything else you'll remember a story <laughs> exactly yeah when you cut to the chase you know when when the chips are down there's a lovely story about uh, a great Buddhist teacher who uh, somebody came to him and said, you know, Buddhism's so complicated. You have three of this, six of that, nine of the other, whatever. And then you've got these bigger vehicles and little vehicles, you know, the the Hinayana and the Mahayana and all yeah. that. And, and the, the guy re retorted, he said, listen, big vehicle or little vehicle, all vehicles will be towed away at owner's expense. <laughs> 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 and I, lo I love that. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, because that's basically the bottom line. And all these are just constructs, frameworks. Um, if they're helpful, great, right? And there are many wonderful things in this book that are very helpful. But, you know, what we're asking, and I think Sarah would be asking, is we bring our innate um, wisdom, our timeless wisdom to to the book, right? So that, so that therefore, it can really uh, work its its uh, transformational power through us. That's That's what we're talking about. Yes, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a few minutes left. What what have we left out? What would you like to share with our audience? Um, well, I, I get a lot of questions about what's conscious confidence and all this sort of thing. Uh, if I could say go to my website, consciousconfidence.com, there's lots of information there. Um and links and podcasts and blogs and things like that and some magazine articles and things just to help um, understand what the, the wealth of wisdom that's contained within Sanskrit and it is immediate and it's practical, um, which is the best sort because uh, otherwise the alternative is complex and remote and that's pretty much useless. So <laughs> yeah, there we you go. need... You need easy, simple and practical and immediate and put it into practice and try it for yourself and then you will know. Then, then you have knowledge. Um, but the other thing about the, the book is you don't have to read it from start to finish. You could just read all the stories or That's just true. read all the contemporary accounts um, or just read the sections of Sanskrit. Uh, you can read it that way sort of thematically or you can read it chapter by chapter. It works either way. Um, and, you know, there'll be something that lights up for you as a, as a place to start. Yeah, because I love that idea, you know, and, and I think it's symbolized in Jesus, you know, where somebody touched the hem of his garment and, and got the healing, right? Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's the idea that whatever you touch the truth, you know, you get the full healing and uh, or yeah. the full re realization. You don't have to study everything under the sun. Um, if you if you understand one thing at a very deep level, you, you know you understand the whole, and um, that's yeah. that's the beauty I think of of spiritual wisdom. So sometimes we rush around thinking we got to you know go to the latest workshop and, the, and learn the latest technique or whatever. But well, rather than that, take what you already know and and take it as deeply and, and as profoundly as you can. Right, really go into it. Um, yeah. Penetrate those gates uh, th through practice. And um, yeah, there's plenty of things in this book that that enables us. Uh, to do just that. 
Um, so you're you're in Australia, but uh, the book's available, of course, anywhere, right? It's anywhere. Pub- published by Finhorn Press, and um, yeah, and get it's in available all the usual, anywhere. All the places, yeah, everywhere. Um, yes, it's available anywhere, and it's in paperback, ebook, and it's also available in audio book as well, which yeah. I narrated. So there's all the formats. Um, Audio book's very useful. I think if you've got the physical book or, or the e-book, that's good. And then then if you want to sort of hear it and uh, hear the Sanskrit, uh, then there's certainly the audio books there uh, to make that easier. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So just, just switching subjects for a minute because some, some folks might be interested. Um, how, how is, uh, you know, how are you doing in your part of Australia right now after all the fires? Ah uh, yes, all the fires are out. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. it was, it was a, an intense time, and having been born and bred in, in Australia, I've never experienced anything like it. It was we you get fire seasons, but this was um, quite different and intense. And the intensity, I think, and how long it went on just took everyone by surprise. Um, it, look, this the, the communities are doing amazingly well and rebuilding. There's a lot of work to do, and they're all everyone's pulling together. And it's bringing the best out as these situations do. Uh, we had a lot of rain, and that also then caused flooding. Um, but we needed that. Um, and then we've had quite a few sort of wind storms. We've had some unusual weather, to be honest with you. But everyone's pulling together and, and putting their best foot forward. And we went to one of the fire areas to the local communities, um, you know, just to spend some money and support them. And, and they're all you know, pulling together and doing the best and, they, and they'll get there eventually, yep. Thank you for asking. And I thought it was interesting that in the book itself you, you have uh, something, of course the book was written before all these fires, but it was <laughs> about the, the volunteer fire services that are, yeah. that are, are very much a part of, of the rural parts of Australia, right? And, yes. and do wonderful work there, you know, and people put themselves at risk. And it's in it's in the chapter on, you know, embodying these things, right, and taking the wisdom you know and being willing to, to live it out. And, and these people definitely, definitely do that. And I think, like you said, it brings out the best when these tragedies happen, right? The, the human spirit mm-hmm. responds. You know, we, might, we might complain in, in our normal life, but then when, it, when the chips are down, you know, an element of our courage and, and fortitude and, and the the essence of who we are in truth comes forth. And that's sort of lovely to see, I think. Yes, yes. We, we seem to need these situations to sort of get us over ourselves. But the, yeah. the, the Rural Fire Service, I, it was when I was thinking, it was on the chapter on values and um, they were the first thing that came to my mind. They are a remarkable organisation and here we are two years after I wrote that chapter we had yeah. this terrible fire season right and they, the of it. they were yeah. amazing, remarkable. Let me tell you about next week's show and then we'll say goodbye to Sarah. Next week, uh, Craig Colovo joins me and is going to talk about his book, I Am God in Disguise and So Are You. Ways for truly discovering your true identity. There's a nice little piggyback on today's show then. So I am God in disguise and so are you. Thanks for tuning in, folks. And thank you, Sarah, so much for being on the show. Well, thank you. Wonderful show. Absolutely. And uh, hope to t- you tune in next week, folks. See you then. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 